It's James Lachlan here. I'm a former seven-time world champion, host of the Life on Purpose podcast, and dad to Finn. I have the pleasure of coaching CEOs and athletes, and I find a leader's mastermind this year, and I absolutely love connecting with great people, and I'm very, very honored to be on Relationships and Revenue with John Fulham. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. And I'm so glad you decided to spend a little bit of your time with me today listening and or watching this particular episode. And as you heard from the introduction, I have the one and only James Laughlin with me. James, how are you, my friend? Fantastic. It's spring here in New Zealand. Life is great. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, here in the United States, it is fall. So we're like on the exact opposite side of the world and exact opposite side of things. Things are starting to get green for you, starting to grow and get better. And for here... They're starting to change colors and fall off trees and kind of die and wither and go in hibernation. So, <laughs> all right. Well, listen, James, um, again, I'm so glad you decided to spend some time with us today because I can't wait to introduce you to all of our listeners and viewers. So listeners and viewers, let me tell you a little bit about James. And you heard him say in the intro about himself, but just to reiterate, he is the host of the amazing podcast. And if you haven't listened to James, you need to. It is the Life on Purpose podcast, so I highly recommend you go out there, find it, download it, subscribe to it, uh, and again, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes so you can do that. He's also a world-class drummer, seven times, world champion, by the way. Uh, he's a coach. He didn't call himself a speaker. I call him a speaker because I know he does that. Uh, he's definitely an entrepreneur, but I feel very confident in saying the number one title in James' life is dad. You're spawning on. <laughs> and he is dad to Finn. So, and how old is Finn? Finn is five. Wow. Five. Oh my gosh, my friend. Those years, they fly by. It's precious. They fly by. Oh my gosh. Mine, as, and for those who have paid any attention at all to this particular podcast, you know, my kids are 21, 17, and 16. So, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've got lots of learning to do. I'll be reaching out to you on occasion as Fitch grows older. <laughs> Oh man, I'm here to help. And trust me, I don't know that I have it all figured out, but I can tell you a whole lot of what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, James, I want you to take us back a little bit. Now we've hit the highlights of what's going on in your life, but I'd, I'd like a little more. So tell us a little bit about kind of how you got your start in things and what led you to where you are today. Mm. So John, that takes me back to Northern Ireland. So I grew up in a very small town called Ballyclare, County Antrim, and uh, very much, uh, I would say, a humble beginning. Uh, Mum and Dad worked hard. Uh, we certainly had uh, everything that we needed, uh, but certainly not, not, a, not a lavish uh, lifestyle. We, we were pretty humble. And in Northern Ireland, for those that are not familiar, obviously Northern Ireland's had its fair share of challenges throughout the years with religious conflict. And certainly as a youngster growing up there, that was quite evident. And, you know, there were signs of that happening and, and a little bit of unrest and violence. Mm. So I think as a young, a young kid in Northern Ireland, it's pretty important to find something to center your focus on, a passion or a purpose. 
to really give you direction and keep you on the straight and narrow. So I was a pretty feisty little, little dude, uh, kind of like my son, Finn, and managed to make my way to my headmaster's office in primary school at about the age of eight or nine. And I'd actually been sticking up for a kid who was being bullied, but in the end, uh, I got taken to the headmaster's office to have a conversation and I was waiting for detention. I was waiting on, you know, you've got a week of detention after school, writing lines. And instead he lifted a set of drumsticks from his top drawer and handed me a set of drumsticks. The man says, what, what's this for Mr. Pollock? He says, well, you could have a detention or you can come after school on a Tuesday and meet Mr. Lee, who will teach you how to play drums. We need some drummers. I was like, sounds like a good deal to me. <laughs> and I'd never had any musical background. N nobody in my family was incredibly musical. So give it a go and loved it. And uh, about three years later, you know, I was, I was practicing an hour a day first year and then the next year, two or three hours a day. And all of a sudden realized, you know, it, it's a competitive thing. It's not just a, it's not just a performance thing. There's actually a Irish championship, a world championship, a North American championship, a South African one. It's like, wow, this is a very unique style of drumming that has solo competition and collective competition. Kind of like in North America, you guys have the DCI cores and the drum lines. Mm -hmm. Very similar. Okay. So I just put my mind to it and I said to my dad, look, I'd really love to go to the world solo drumming championships. So at 13, my dad took me across to Scotland for the world championships and I was going to do my best to see where I sat in the rankings, to see what I needed to do to improve. And so I entered the juvenile competition and was so shocked and so bewildered when my name was read out as world solo drumming champion my first oh. year. It was nuts. It was like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, how does this happen? And so that, that actually instilled a great sense of uh, belief, self-belief and built my self-esteem. I had this vision of wanting to play at the world championships. And so that vision helped me work towards that. After that, I went on to win it again the following year. And then things started to open up. I had calls from Vancouver, Canada, South Africa, New Zealand, different bands uh, wanting to, me to come and support or guess or play with them. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, I spent between the age of 18 and 24, just traveling between Vancouver and New Zealand, mm -hmm. uh, playing with bands, teaching drums, uh, delivering seminars, and such, such an amazing journey. I went on to win another five world championship titles before the age of 23. Wow. That's very cool. It was okay. Nice. So, okay. So talk to us a little bit about how you transitioned out of that, because I would imagine that you could still be playing today if you wanted to be. hundred percent. There's a couple of catalysts there, John. So came to New Zealand, was teaching at a private school and uh, that private school was very competitive and uh, in all areas. And they wanted to take their band of drummers to become the very first ever world champions from New Zealand. Mm. And so that took me about seven or eight years and together with a team of other coaches, we took them to Scotland and they became the first ever world champions for New Zealand. So that was like a big pick, like a professional career, like done. That's awesome. Yeah. And then a few things started to happen. So I, I set up a retail shop, which I was, had percussion instruments that I was uh, supplying all around Australia, New Zealand, and that was going great, but I was kind of busy being busy <laughs> and you know what it's like, you know, you, you just get into something and you roll with it. And so during that time, we had a few things happen here in New Zealand. We had a, a major set of earthquakes here in Christchurch, uh, which was very destructive for our city. A large number of people died. And certainly that was a point where I was questioning what I was doing and was this what I truly wanted to be doing? Mm -hmm. 
and but I was getting paid incredibly well. I had 12 weeks of holidays a year. Most of those holidays were spent in Hawaii, Samoa, Vanuatu, the UK, Europe, like all these beautiful places. So walking away from that was like, I don't want to, I don't want to make things into too good. (laughs) But there was something here missing. I just didn't know what it was. And then my former partner and I, Lisa, we uh, really wanted to become parents and very excited about that. And then along that journey, we had a miscarriage Mm. and I've heard about miscarriage, but never really thought about miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And I find that incredibly difficult, incredibly emotional, uh, devastating. It was hard. It was another point where I was like, what am I doing? Is this what I truly want to be doing? So it was another time for me to question mm-hmm. what I was doing. And so around that time, I started uh, attending more seminars on personal growth, went to a number of Tony Robbins events in his uh, resort at Fiji and over in, in, in Sydney. And that was a great opportunity for me to just look, what's going on in my life? Am I aligning my actions with my purpose and my priorities or am I not? Right. And I came to the conclusion, actually, what I'm doing, yes, I get good results, but internally something's missing. There's a part of me that I don't love when I'm doing it. I have unhealthy habits and drinking too much alcohol. I'm eating poor food. My sleeping habits are poor. Mindset is very mediocre. So decided something had to change and hey, 9th of May, 2016, this little dude came kicking and screaming into the world. And (laughs) it was a life change. I looked him in the eye at the moment he was there and I said, I love you, son. And that night before I went to bed, I said, I'm going to retire from competitive drumming. And so within three or four months after that, I'd got the wheels in motion to retire. All my peers were like, James, you're nuts. You've got like another 30 years at least of competing at the world championship level. I said, yeah, I might, but not to sacrifice time with my son. I was like, he's the priority. So that was, yeah, five years ago now. And so I retired from competing. Okay. And then I really started to jump into coaching. And what yeah. the, I guess the segue there was, I went to the Tony Robbins events, really seeing the power of coaching. And in talking to some of, some of his senior coaches, I realized my experience as a drummer, my experience as helping other teams become world champions and other individuals, that I had some skill set in terms of helping people define what their outcome is and move from here and through the gap to achieve their outcome. So I started going to other events. So the International Coaching Federation is one of the, I would say one of the gold standards of of coaching uh, globally. So I went there and got certified as a transformative coach and then went on to become an accredited coach. And then I took on some pro bono clients. But you know, I've got people around me here who could uh, could do with my support and I'd love to get some skills in the corporate environment and in mm. the sports environment. Mm-hmm. So I started taking on some, some individuals, uh, helping them with results. And then word of mouth started, started spreading. I, a couple of people call and, Hey, could we, could we work with you? Or could you come in and work with our team? So it just organically started to spread to the point where I was still working at the private school. I had my retail business. I was still running. Uh, I was a very present dad. I uh, things. Things were all go and it was, you know, there was a lot happening. So I had to make a decision. And so I made the decision to sell the retail shop, to uh, resign from the, the private school and to go all in uh, with coaching. And I made that decision three weeks before uh, COVID arrived and uh, <laughs> yeah. left all of the stability, left the private school salary and the retail income. And, and uh, a lot of other people were concerned for me at that point. Go, wow. You're on your own now. Like this is going to be tricky, but I believe that I was doing what I should be doing and I haven't looked back. Things have thrived and went well right through the pandemic. 
Uh, I've, I've learned a lot. I've been, you know, as I said, been coaching for six or seven years, but really full-time for the last three and absolutely love it. So I work now with CEOs of software companies. I work with uh, elite athletes. I work with other teams and, and sports teams and truly it's fulfilling what I get to do. Very nice, man. It's so exciting. Um, you know, I want to dig in a little bit to some of the things that you're doing. It's in addition to the coaching that you're doing, or maybe you could, it's a subset of that. Uh, you have something that's called the Purpose Club. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So look, not everyone has access to coaching and that can be due to time. They don't have enough time. Maybe they're a busy parent or it could be finance because getting a good coach is not cheap. It's going to cost you more than a cup of coffee. So mm-hmm. I decided, look, I, I want to help as many people as I can. And I had lots of people reaching out like, hey, James, can you tell us a little bit about how you do this? Or, hey, James, I'm struggling with this. What can I do? Or, hey, I'm not happy with my body. Like, what, what's, what's some habits that I can do and, and mental strategies I can, I can implement? Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, I need to put together something for individuals to access quality coaching and mentorship. So I put together the Purpose Club. And so... All of my members in the Purpose Club get, uh, once a month, they get a live masterclass with me where they get on and I present on motivation, on influence, on mindset, on communication, and share my best strategies with them and on my frameworks, coaching frameworks. They have an opportunity to Q&A after that. Mm-hmm. They also get throughout the week, they get uh, journal prompts to, to help them with, with their mindset. They get weekly planning and monthly planning frameworks as well. So it's really, it's personal coaching in a group setting. So it's much more affordable. It's $30 a month rather than, you know, 10X that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now I know you're in the middle of writing a book right now and I do want to get to that, but before we get to that, you've also written, is it two others besides that? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about those books. Yeah. So the first book probably the best one to start with. So, uh, I had always experienced nerves, uh, when I performed and hmm. Obviously at a young age, learned to manage those and deal with those and embrace those. So after the earthquakes, uh, I seen that a lot more people had anxiety, a lot more people had performance pressure that was being self-imposed. So I thought, you know, I'm going to write a short book around how to really overcome your nerves and what strategies I've used and what other world champions that I've came across have used. So I put together this short book called No More Nerves and had no marketing experience, had zero of that. I just thought, yeah, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put it on Amazon and it's going to just go wild. People need this and put it out there. And it was like radio silence. (laughs) I was like, what's wrong? Why are people not just like, why am I not a bestseller overnight? This, this should happen. People are searching for no more nerves. That's not how it works. So I actually learned a lot from that book about what not to do Mm. and to really build an audience before you build a product. And so the second book, it was actually with my former wife, Lisa. So she, we were walking around the park one day. She said, I've got an idea. I said, cool. What is it? No, no, no. I need to brew on it a little bit. I know what you're like. If you hear this idea, James, you'll want to execute and get moving. I need to let it brew a little longer. And so her little brother, so Finn's uncle was the youngest ever world champion drummer. Oh, and phenomenal, phenomenal drummer. And he sadly passed away at 18 in Los Angeles in a tragic accident. Mm. So eventually she said, look, James, what I'd like to do is have a legacy for my little brother, something that really truly acknowledges what he did. And I was thinking of a book, a book would be really cool. 
Mm-hmm. And so then we started brainstorming what a book might look like. And so I had a really incredible collection of world champions, like 50, 60 world champions, age, ranging in age from like 15 to 75, yeah. all in drumming, piping, that kind of fraternity. So we decided we would write a book detailing their stories, their adversity, their journeys, their success formulas. And so we set about writing this book. We give ourselves a nine-month window where I'd already built a community on on over the years on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We said that the, the launch date would be the World Championships in August of 2013. And so we built with nine months to create this book. It's a large coffee table book with amazing mm. photography and a real something. We're very proud of it. And uh, we interviewed all these people and created, uh, rather than just print an interview, we, we crafted a unique story and implemented all of their gems from their interview for each person. And so we pre-sold hundreds and hundreds of copies of that. Nice. We had an amazing launch in Glasgow. It, it was a bestseller and a sellout uh, within a few months. So that, that was a big, big learning curve and very obviously niche specific. Right. Now, what was the title of that one? It's called Our Journey. Our Journey. I'm writing these down, folks, in case you're wondering what I'm doing. So, okay. Because I'll tell you, folks, you all know this. I do my research ahead of time. For those of you who are watching this, this is my notebook that has my notes for any interview that I do. And I looked, man, and do you know how many James Laughlin's there are on Amazon? Is there my gosh? There's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I think the James Laughlin that I've heard of before is a famous American poet. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. And think he gets a lot of uh, the limelight. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. All right, so that leads us into the current project. What is it? What are you doing with it? Who's it for? Yeah, great, great question. So I was working at a, at a private school, as I mentioned, and uh, in New Zealand, I didn't realize, but beautiful, scenic, peaceful New Zealand has the highest teenage suicide rate on the planet. Wow. It has the third highest... Um, child mortality rate in the OECD and has the highest domestic violence rate in the OECD. And that includes countries like Mexico and uh, America. Wow. So I thought, well, that's kind of strange. And working at this school, I started to experience some of these things. So we had a large number of children uh, take their own lives at the school wow. over, a, over a 10-year period. And as many will know, suicide's a delicate topic. Uh, often it's a little bit taboo. People like to brush over it, like to maybe not talk about it. Yeah. I don't think that solves the problem. I think, I think no. dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I started asking questions, which was met with crickets, absolute silence. I thought, well, that's not going to work for me and I want to know more. So I started reaching out to different contacts and uh, one of those contacts was former prime minister of New Zealand who set up a department all around mental health. Mm. And started asking him, you know, what's driving these things? And then I met with a guy, Dr. Warren Farrell, who wrote an incredible book called Boy Crisis. He consults to the White House on boys and on men's health and uh, talked to him about what he feels is driving suicide. And young boys are six times more likely than girls uh, to take their lives from puberty onwards. Oh, it continues on. It continues on for men. The, the total suicide rate for all people in the world, 75% are men. Shocking. Mm. It's absolutely shocking. And that's why the, it kind of inspired me to think about writing a book that could help dads who want not only to protect their own mental health, but to protect their children's mental health and their grandchildren. So I decided, you know, with, 
my, my background in high performance, I would reach out to high performing men, uh, whether they've led countries, whether they've led world championship sports teams, whether they are billionaires, whether they are game changing thought leaders. So I reached out to all these different individuals, uh, all around the topic of how do you perform at your best with purpose and still manage to look after your mental health and look after your family's mental health. And so it was quite enlightening. And for this, this book is for dads. It's for dads who are present or dads who want to step up, dads who want to help guide their kids through the toughest time, which is that puberty right through till about 25 <laughs> is a pretty trying time. So that's, uh, that's the, that's the book. There's no title for the book yet, uh, but the content is all written. And yeah, just uh, in chat discussions with publishers around uh, what the title might be and what it might look like. So uh, what's this space? Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. Now, one of the things that you do is you help your clients figure out things like their purpose, their why. But you do it, um, I think the phrase you like to use is one step at a time. Yeah. So... Tell me how that works. How do you help someone discover what his or her purpose is one step at a time? Mm. Well, I really believe that vision precedes victory and mm. that goes for, for anything. So let's talk about one step at a time. So many years ago, early 1900s, you had two explorers. You had Scott and you had Amundsen. So both were in a race to get to the South Pole first. And Amundsen came in, he's a Norwegian explorer, uh, came in with his team and they were on the Fram, the big boat, the Fram. And the whole way down to, to Antarctica, they had in the boat a massive map of Antarctica and they had a big X where the South Pole was and they had a red line to depict the journey. Hmm. And every day the team would meet and talk about the journey, talk about how they would execute it talk about what they would do on a daily basis, talk about how they would handle adversity. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the team was clear on the vision. Everybody was clear on what had to get done to get there. Everyone was clear on who was part of it and you know how it was going to be executed. So the other team, Scott's team, so he's a different leader altogether. He decided that they could, the guys in the team didn't need to know the detail. They didn't need to know the steps. They just needed to show up and he would lead them. And leaders should just lead day by day and he would, if it was a bad day, they would put the tents up and stay in the tents and stay warm. If it was a good day, they'd do 30 miles and then they'd rest up for a couple of days. And then they, you know, another good day comes, they'll do 40 miles in a day. Mm -hmm. And so that was his, his plan of attack. My team don't need to know the details. I'm the leader. Nobody else needs to be privy. Whereas Amundsen took the opposite approach. He said, look, every single day, guys, we're did 15 miles every single day, whether it's hail whether it's sun, whether it's storm, we will do 15 miles every single day without fail. And here's our journey. Here's our route. Do you know it? Are you confident with it? And when you look at it, they knew what the vision was. And they ended up getting to the South Pole 34 days ahead of schedule. And Scott's team all perished. They all died mm. and didn't make it home, right? They had no vision. They had no idea how to get there. And so I really, that, that saying of vision precedes victory, to me, that is a great example of it. And you can see it in your own life when you don't know what you're trying to work towards and the people around you don't know what you're working towards, you know, your chances of victory are greatly diminished. And I always say, you know, leverage your why to shape your what, to inspire your who, to then define the how. 
And too many people go to the high, like, how am I going to make a million dollars? Right? So it's always like they go straight to the high. Whereas I think, <laughs> you know, or how am I going to attract the dream partner of my life? Whereas I firmly believe if you leverage your why, and you know, there's so many books, it's almost getting cliche, you know, start with why is an amazing book uh, by Simon Sinek, which a lot of people have, have read. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of purpose work, but I actually do truly believe it is where great things begin. It's where a victory begins. It begins with why are you doing it? Mm. And so when you leverage your why and you've got so much why, then you're going to be able to take that, that next step, which is, you know, shape your what. So, you know, what is it you're going to do? So you know why you're going to do the thing? Okay, what is it? You know, what, what does that actually look like? What does it mean to you? And you start to shape that, you know, in your own mind. And if you've got a team, you shape it for them. Right. And then that helps you to inspire your crew. So no great outcomes have ever been reached without teamwork. You know, when you look at anybody and their success, there's always been more than one person involved in helping them. Elon Musk did not create what he's created by himself. Not a chance. <laughs> right. Same with Bezos, same with Bill Gates, all these people that have got these trillion dollar empires. Mm-hmm. They've all done it with a team. People that have got a small, successful business at a local level, they didn't do that by themselves. They've got a team, whether that's just one person helping them as an assistant, or they've got a whole team of sales, people and marketers. It's always about who. So you've got your why, mm-hmm. your what, then you inspire your who, and then you get to the step that everyone wants to jump to to start with. And that's defining how are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. And that's your steps. And so essentially for me to help people with the first step, they've got to go through that process first to actually make the first step. Okay. So you had a really succinct way that you said at the beginning. So would you repeat that for everybody just to make sure we get this clearly? Yeah, absolutely. So leverage your why mm-hmm. to shape your what, to inspire your who, mm-hmm. to define the how. Love that. Love that. You know, I like to say it this way, you know, I, I'm sure you get, um, people coming up to you all the time, especially folks who maybe have never worked for themselves before, but they love the idea of it. Mm. And so what they want is a sliver of clarity and they want to jump all the way to making money. And I realize there's a lot of steps in between. And so I say it this way, clarity leads to competence, which leads to confidence. And that leads to influence, then impact then income in that order. Now I'm not, yeah, I'm not foolish enough to say that you can't get a little bit of clarity and jump to income. You can't. The problem is that it's not sustainable. Mm. You can't do that over time. If you bypass the process, it's going to bite you and you're in a, you're going to end up having to go back to the beginning again. So why not, why not put the hard work in to get to where you need to go in the long run? But again, that goes back to something that you mentioned before. And that is where is your vision taking you? Do you have the long game in mind when you're doing that, when you're caring about people? I mean, because for me anyway, when it comes to business, and I've said this a lot recently, so I've, forgive me folks, for those of you who have heard this before, but it bears repeating. When I hear people say the phrase, well, it's just business, as somehow they're using that as an excuse to act like an idiot and to be rude to people, I'm like, no. It's not just business. Business doesn't have to be that way. Business to me, I also say business, it's not personal, it's business. I'm like, no, business is personal because there's people involved. And so why not treat people the way you wished people would treat you Mm. all the time, regardless of how they act. That doesn't even factor into it. 
you treat them the right way each and every time. And when you do that, it rubs off. People catch that. It sounds so similar when I think of the things my grandparents and my parents would say. And, you know, I think some of the greatest quotes and greatest advice that coaches give is often similar to what a good parent gives out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know, uh, you were talking before about having a lack of vision. Uh, it, it reminds me of the, uh, the scripture in the Bible talk, talks about saying, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's right. I mean, and hey, wisdom is wisdom. That's right. And the Antarctic story, you know, going down to the South Pole, that people did perish because they had no idea of the vision. It kind of, if, you know, for those that read that passage in the Bible, like it lines up perfectly in real time. Oh, for sure. For sure. So let's jump into this whole idea of relationships for a minute, because after all, this particular podcast is called Relationships and Revenue. I would love to hear what it is that you're doing right now to improve, to grow, to make better the relationships you consider to be most significant and what impact those relationships have on your business. Yeah. Great, great question. So I, I really feel that, you know, relationships that they drive the direction of your business. And for some of those people that have a business or have a leadership position, uh, really appreciating that and life and work are not separate, right? They are one in the same. <laughs> and when you're at work, your performance there is directly related to what's going on in your personal life. So if you have a really personal life, you're going to have a, like a lack of focus and a lack of fulfillment in your work and vice versa. Yeah. So that's, you feel the same way? Oh my gosh. Yes. In fact, I mean, I say that often to people, I was like, look, I don't care how great you are in business and it doesn't matter if it's your own business or you work for somebody else. If your home life is falling apart, it will impact work. It just will. You can only put a front up for so long. Eventually, it's going to come out, spill out. And sometimes, like a volcano, it's going to explode out. And if that happens, no one is going to be well off when that happens. You're so right. one of the things that I feel like is most important is to, especially for men, for us to get a hold of this idea that the relationships we think are important are the ones we need to be investing the most time in to get better at things. I am so sick and tired of hearing excuses from men like, uh, especially for those who are married, they say things like, you know, my wife wants me to talk to her. Okay, first of all, like somehow she's asking for something, you know, ridiculous. I want him to talk to me and I want him to talk to me about, you know, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what's going on with him on the inside. Guys, you have got to start thinking about things like that as a skill set. Don't think of it as something scary, this idea of emotions and feelings. First of all, it is not just female domain. Let me just tell you, it's not. Because most of us, as we were growing up, we're sold a bill of goods as boys, that somehow that's not our world. That's garbage. When you think of it as a new skill set and it's something you have to learn in order to continue to have that relationship, or if it was work, if it's a new skill set you had to have in order to continue to work, you would do it. Same thing here. Because I can promise you, those you consider to be most significant in your lives, if you don't put the effort in there, those relationships are going to die. Relationships grow or die. There is no middle ground. Stagnant is dying. I agree. There is no other way. Yep, I agree. And the interesting concept there is around choosing and prioritizing the relationships that you invest in and that you, prior, you, know, that you prioritize essentially. So for me, it's always a struggle between my son and myself. Okay. And, you know, he's at an age where he's dependent on me for a lot of things. So 
I feel like, you know, if uh, on the perfect day, I should be prioritizing myself. And I think that goes out to any leader. Like when you manage your own habits, your own mindset, you, you know, your own morals and values, then everyone else benefits from that. So I do spend a lot of time uh, meditating, journaling, reflecting, uh, going for nature walks, getting them coaching, uh, getting, you know, I'm, after this, I'm actually going to meet up with a mentor. And for me, that's important. And so I feel like that's the number one relationship that really is the linchpin to the success of all the other relationships around me. Absolutely. And then after that, the relationship with my son, like that's just, that's the most meaningful relationship I've had ever in my life. And, you know, I look at my parents and I love them dearly and I, and I appreciate that, you know, in their mind, what the relationship they have with their kids, including myself. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I want to do what I can to have a rich relationship with my son. And being there and picking them up from school and being fun and adventurous and listening and being present when he's telling me something. The simple things, you know, he thinks sunsets are way better than candy. You know, he thinks sunsets are like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And I just, I love that. He, you know, he, I've got a photo here actually. I know your, your listeners won't be able to see it, but if anybody watches it, so that this is a little photo oh, <laughs> of him cute. meditating. And so he, he knows I meditate. He knows it means a lot to me. And so he's starting to dabble with that. So I feel like because I focus on myself and trying to be a better version of me, it's, it's saturating through to him and he's learning. And then of course, after that comes my, my relationship with Caroline and that's, that's my partner and uh, how that goes and how that flows really impacts me, impacts her, impacts everyone around us. Mm-hmm. And after that is my relationship with Finn's mum. And we get on incredibly well. So we parted ways a few years ago and we have an incredible friendship. In fact, just a, a week and a bit ago, Finn was quite sick and in hospital. And uh, Lisa, Caroline and I were able to get together and be a strong unit together and really, really help them through that. So for me, I want to keep harmony as like the underlying value in the important relationships. Now, the relationships that move apart, that's fine in business and in life, there's going to be times when you've got to agree to disagree and you move, you move apart, that's fine. But for me, it's about understanding what relationships are important and maintaining harmony in those. And so even though, you know, my former wife, we're no longer together, I want to maintain harmony. I want to maintain respect. You know, and that's, that to me, those are important things. And after that comes friendship and, and, and business relationships, of course. Sure. Sure. You know, one of the greatest gifts I ever gave my kids after my divorce was to maintain a healthy relationship with their mom. Uh, in fact, one of the ways that I do that is by not saying a negative word about her to my kids. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about her to my kids. And I do that for them first, but believe it or not, I do it just as much for me because I honestly, I've been around so many men that are so bitter toward their ex-wives. And I'm like, honestly, I don't understand it, James. I really don't. And the reason I don't understand it is because I'm not that way. I'm not bitter anymore. It's like the only relationship I have with her is a business type relationship. The business is the children. And so, and we agree 99.7% of the time on what to do for the kids. So there's not really an issue there. So it's not a thing for me. So that's why I try to do that also to show other men it is possible to have a healthy relationship with your ex. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, 
relationship breakdown. Uh, there's two scenarios. Most people get stuck in the first scenario, and that's post-traumatic stress. So, mm. you know, I've been hurt, I've been harmed, I've been cheated on, or whatever it might be. And they get stuck in that holding pattern, right? True. But people like yourself and other great men out there who maintain a really healthy relationship with their former partners and wives, what they are doing is they're going from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth. And it's a mm. mindset shift and it's going, that was traumatic, that wasn't fun, that was hurtful, but wow, I wouldn't have made this decision and I wouldn't have met this person and I wouldn't have traveled to this destination and I wouldn't have got myself in this shape if it wasn't for that trauma. Yeah. And so then you start to bless the trauma, thank the trauma, be grateful for it. Mm. Now you can't do that right away. I'm not- Oh, it. no, you can't. You know, <laughs> you've got to sit in the pain. You've got to go through the trauma depending on the level of that trauma. But there's a certain point that you can get out of the holding pattern and that requires help. And often it's therapy and professional help to get out of it. Absolutely. You know, I encourage men often to do that. They, they somehow think asking for help, in this particular case, we're talking about therapy, but asking for help is a sign of weakness. In fact, that's, that's something that I had to deal with my son with for years. And it's like, no, no, no. Asking for help is a sign of wisdom. That means you realize you don't have all the answers, that there are people outside of you who at least, I'm not going to say they're smarter than you. I'm going to say in this particular area, they know it better than you. And they can provide some assistance, ways that you can't help yourself. So why not at least investigate it? And so um, that's something I encourage men all the time to do is to figure out ways to get better for you. Because when you get better, the people around you get better. Um, I also say it this way. I would never wish divorce on anyone. It is horrible. I hate it. I despise it. Having said that. If it wasn't for my divorce, I do not believe I would be where I am today because who I was before that, I didn't like that guy at all. I like who I am now. He is much more fun to be around, much more pleasant. Uh, I have a smile on my face way more than I ever did before. And I've learned so much more about me like, because it, the pain forced me to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, when I chose to do something with my pain rather than wallow in it, because I realized that my pain wasn't for me. My pain is actually for other people. And it was my job to work through the pain to begin to heal so that I could help others either work through it or avoid it. Because that, in part, led to my purpose. It's beautiful. Yeah. Which, of course, if you go deep enough into your purpose, it can also lead to your platform. That's right. So yeah, that's, that's kind of something that's kind of a, a framework, if you will, that I go from it's pain to purpose, to platform. I love that. That's so cool. All right. As long as you quote me on it, you can use it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. You'll get full credit. for that. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, we're getting closer to wrap up time here. So I've got a few questions before we get to our final four. Yep. So first of all, where can folks find you, James? Absolutely. So best place to connect with me socially would be on Instagram and that's James Lachlan official and it's spelled laugh L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N. So James Lachlan official on Instagram. Uh, if they want to get in touch directly, just if they want to go to my website, jjlachlan.com and they can email me james at jjlachlan.com. Sweet. Okay. Now let's talk about somebody who's heard what you had to say. is like, James sounds like the kind of guy I want to work with. So what is that process like to begin with? That someone would say, hey, I want to work with James. How do I do that? Yep. 
So there's, there's really three key options. So first option to jump in and become a member of the Purpose Club, which is, mm -hmm. you know, very affordable, uh, but it's a little uh, less hands-on from my end. So there'll not be as much one-to-one. -one. Secondly, they can apply for one-to-one -one coaching. So I only take on 15 clients a year and there's a vetting process. And the reason I go through a vetting process and ask people to apply, I want to make sure I'm the right fit for that individual. Like you've got to find the right coach for you. And secondly, I, I want to make sure that they're the right fit for me. Absolutely. So uh, they can apply on, on my website for that. And then thirdly, I run a mastermind, uh, a leaders and high performers mastermind. Mm. And that's limited to 15, 20 people per year. And it's uh, mainly hosted here in New Zealand. So once COVID has disappeared, it'll be, be open to the international uh, folks as well. And so, yeah, they can get in touch via the website for any three of those options. Okay. Okay. Great. Now this may be a little more complicated question, but I like I'm, that. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and ask it. What is your definition of success? Yeah. So I think about this often and I would say my definition of success, it evolves as I evolve. So what uh, is it today? <laughs> My definition of success is my ability to show up at 3 p.m., pick up my son, be fully present, and be financially free enough to do so. That's as simple as that. If I could show up, be there for my son at pickup, not be thinking about work, not be worrying about dollars, got my health, that, that's absolute success. Oh, man. I love that definition. I do, truly. Um, how would you, we're going back to definitions again, because again, th th these are important and folks have heard me talk about these before. I would love to know if in your mind, there is a difference between these two terms. And if there is what the difference is failing and failure. <laughs> difference between failing and failure. So I feel like failure is much more final. There's a finality to failure. You are a failure. It defines the individual to label. Whereas I feel like failing is a process. Uh, it's more a uh, learning focused. So you're in, you're in motion, failing, you are in motion and you have the opportunity to go, ah, oh, I can make that final and be a failure. Or I can go, whoa, that's not working. That's good feedback. I don't like that. I'm going to change. So I think failing is an opportunity and it's learning. It's in motion. Oh man. That's, that's very close to how I see both of those. Uh, because I think some people try and interchange those two terms and I don't think they are not, they are not interchangeable at all. To me, failing means I tried something, I didn't do it right. And I have an opportunity to learn from it. Yeah. Failure on the other hand is a state of being. I am choosing to stay right here and I'm not moving from it. Well, speaking as a coach, and I think you'll be able to relate to this, the former, I can help that person all day long. The latter. I can't help somebody who is stuck there and refuses to move. I, I can't, I can't help somebody like that. So you are definitely a failure. You just wallow in that, have a good time, but I'm not going to be a part of it. Yeah. Brilliant. There's coachable and uncoachable, right? Oh, for sure. In fact, I would say the best coaches out there, their first and best coaching client is themselves. Yeah. Great. Because if you're not coaching you, how in the world can you coach somebody else? Seriously. All right. So now let's get to our final four. Is there just four quick questions? You tell me the first thing that pops in your head. All right, here we go. Do it. All right. Number one, why did God create James? To experience a joyful life. All right. Experience a joyful life. Uh, question two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? I listen to The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes at least two to three times a week. Absolutely love it. Okay. I read relentlessly on 
leaders who I love. So um, Mandela's Way is a great book I've read multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, so I like to read about leaders that are that are inspiring. Yes, that's again for those of you who listen to or watch this particular podcast, you know that one of my great passions in life is leadership, and so I am constantly consuming different ways to learn about and become a better leader. Number three, James, what do you do for fun? I like to get out around the hills. I like to skim stones and rocks with my son. Um, what else brings me joy and fun? For me, it's food. Like I get a lot of joy from food. Going to a nice restaurant and sitting with a view and enjoying food, to me, that's highly fun. Oh yeah, especially when you can do it with other people. Oh, totally. Yeah, with that little rascal and then Caroline there, it's, it's the best. Oh, absolutely. All right. And my final question is, what are you most grateful for? Most grateful for? Honestly, I'm going to say health. You know, if there's no health, there's, there's no experience of joy. It's a different, different existence. And um, yeah, my own health and my, my family's health. Okay, perfect. Well, listen, James, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing not only a little bit about your background, but the things that you're doing right now and the different ways that people can connect with you because you are an amazing coach. You're doing great things out there. Um, you have been able to interview some people uh, similarly to I have, like Anthony Trucks. I don't mind dropping his name because Anthony is an amazing guy. Uh, so again, thanks so much for being here today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to staying connected. I'll be following your amazing journey as you go as well. Thanks, James. And thank you to all of you who decided to spend a little bit of your time with me today and with James. I hope this has brought some insight into your lives, some help, and maybe you had some laughs along the way. So from James and myself, thank you for being here, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.